Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotions, where I talk all things anxiety, big emotions, emotion regulation. I am still in the back to school series. I know we are getting deep into October now, but there's so many different things that our kiddos worry about all the time. And this is part two of perfectionism. I was introducing perfectionism and contributors to perfectionism last time. Today, I'm talking about what do we do? So what do we do now? right? I'm not going to go into all of the other pieces like externalization, effective emotion coaching. I talk about that a lot throughout my podcast. Be sure to check out my other episodes if you're just tuning in now. I talk a lot about that in my anxiety compass, but the process is the same. It doesn't matter if we're talking about perfectionism or I'm scared of dogs or uh, separation anxiety. The process is still the same. And it's really an A, how we respond, adults, right? Or how we're coaching parents to respond, how we're coaching teachers to respond. We're always going to respond with empathy and that validation. That's so important. So on the one hand, support. On the other hand, confidence. We're going to acknowledge that low-key perfectionist, right? That's the externalization that I was talking about. Oh, there's our amygdala again, that trickster Loki up to his tricks again. Yep, that's what he does, right? He wants us to be too critical. He wants to us to beat ourselves up. He wants to make sure we avoid doing new things because if we avoid doing new things, we're not going to die. We're not going to get eaten, right? There's nothing bad that's going to happen. So we're going to be able to respond validating. Yeah, this is hard. And this is what's do what he's doing physiologically. Yeah, you're feeling all of these things. Those are real. So looking at what students need to work on, they absolutely need to work on the maladaptive self-evaluations that they have because they usually have very sort of distorted thinking patterns, thinking traps in which they're filtering the world from any positive. Only the negative is coming in. All the mistakes that I've made, the things that I should have done differently, right? None of the successes and positives. So they truly, they're seeing things so differently from the rest of the world because they're so focused on the information that confirms their underlying fears, that I'm a failure, that nobody likes me, whatever it is, right? They, they, they have this fear that their best efforts, it's never going to be good enough. There's always the yeah, but yeah, but, and they're always filtering out the positives. And if you try to communicate the positives to them, yeah, but yeah, but, and oftentimes when we try to get them to think of the silver lining, I have a whole episode on this and actually my other podcast too, my parenting podcast, where I talk about what's bad about trying to get kids to see the silver light lining. It's because they've got this true story. That's true for themselves here. We're trying to push this other story on them. They're just going to feel worse and worse and worse, right? Because they're going to feel that so much further away from this ideal that we're sort of holding on. And a lot of it is this thinking traps that they have. They have these perfectionist concerns and it's related to making mistakes related to self-doubt. I can't handle it. I'm not good enough. And that's just fueling that self-criticism that they have. And that, that leads to their avoidant behaviors. And because they're avoiding, they're not learning the skills, they're not practicing, they're not seeing that they can get better. And it's just making those kiddos even more unsure of themselves. Okay. Now, a lot of people, they don't necessarily have perfectionistic sort of strivings. So that's really setting those really high standards uh, that, that can be unrealistic. Now, sometimes that can be a good thing, right? It can still be a good thing. We all should be setting the bar pretty high for ourselves. We don't want to set it too low, but we do see that the research that's coming out most, um, that's coming out right now, most likely 
the worthwhile thing that we really need to focus on is not so much about setting that bar. It's more about their self-evaluations. That's the primary target because it's, it's those perfectionist concerns about being good enough, not being good enough, making a mistake, all the fears that come with that and those negative self-evaluations. That's what's most strongly associated with psychopathology not necessarily the high unrealistic bar. Certainly that's something we can address, but we got to address those self-evaluations first. So that's what we're working on. So the usual, we're looking at evidence-based approaches. It's really changing that self-evaluation through cognitive behavioral approaches, right? So yes, we're going to be targeting the rumination, the all or nothing thinking, looking at how we can reframe those biased beliefs, the, the, attributions that students make, both both when they're setting the bar for themselves, that high bar, but also when they're evaluating their performance. That's what we need to look at. So when we look at the types of distorted thinking patterns, those thinking traps, we see rigid thinking, right? I must get 100%. I must do that or 95%. So we've got rigidity. We've got overgeneralizations. And I usually make these into characters depending on the age. But you know what? Even my high school and young adults, I'm still saying rigid Rick, right? Overgeneralizing Olivia, right? Who says, you know, an 80%, if I don't reach that 95%, so maybe they're working together, you know, the rigidity rock brain and overgeneralizer, they're working together. But if I get an 80%, that means I'm going to fail life. It's not just that I failed this test. It means I am a failure. I am going to fail life. That's that overgeneralization, taking one instance and sweeping it across the the whole life. Black and white thinking, that's the all or nothing Al, right? If I make a mistake, therefore I'm a failure, right? It's either all perfect or all fail. Uh, Discounting the positives. When we discount the positives, we're focusing on the negatives. That's that filter. So I missed I missed every shot. I played awful. Well, no, my daughter actually just had a game. Didn't get a goal, but she played a fantastic game just because the outcome wasn't necessarily what she was hoping for. You know, the goal, we always want to make a goal or hat trick. That's usually her, her target, but that doesn't mean she played an awful game. She played a fantastic game. She made really smart moves and she set her, her teammates up for some really great plays and they won, right? So it's focusing on that effort. And what else was I working on? And what else was I doing to help the team and myself and my teammates, you know, achieve that success? So we want to break things down into parts because they zoom in, right? They've got this tunnel vision. They're so zoomed in to this very narrow focus on this one little mistake or this one little outcome that I didn't achieve. So we want to break it down. So I love using school. For example, I hate school. I'm terrible at school. Well, let's break it down. There's a lot of different pieces at school. How are you socializing with friends for some kids? Easy peasy. Like, what are you even talking about? Well, what about recess, lunchtime, spares? Well, okay, those are easy. Well, they're part of school, right? We can break them down. Um, let's break down subjects, reading, science, math. Well, no, no, math and science are easy. And I've talked about this breaking down and I think you know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go with writing, right? Because that's just the example that I always use. Math and sciences are fine. I'm actually really good. I'm, I'm doing good. Um, it's more in my humanities class, English. Social studies is okay, but it's writing. I'm a terrible writer. I cannot write. 
So they're zooming in, right? To maybe one thing, maybe it was a persuasive essay that they didn't do great, but they do great with creative writing. We want to break that down for younger kids. Can you write your name? Well, yeah, Caroline, I can write my name, right? So we're just breaking it down into all the different parts because you can do writing. If you had this template for this persuasive you know, essay, if you broke down your ideas first, and then if I gave you this template of how to fill in this formula of a thesis, can you do that? Well, yeah, okay, I can do that. So breaking tasks down, that can be really helpful because a lot of perfectionists, you know, when they're looking at a task, like an essay, it just, they become so overwhelmed or cleaning their room. They become so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. They just kind of go in and be like, I don't know where to start. I actually like breaking tasks down. So I've got stickies on my wall. I think I've showed these before. So I've got stickies on my wall. If you're listening, you can't see, but um, of all the different tasks that I need to do and they're color coded. So I've got pink for certain things, yellow for other things. And then I put it on my, I break a task down into all its steps and I write it on a sticky and then I put it onto the calendar that's on my wall next, next to my desk. And then I know when I sit down, okay, on the 16th, this is what I'm working on. These are the three tasks that I'm working on and I'm not getting overwhelmed. I've already broken it down and, and, and now I get there. So that can be really helpful just to take some of the overwhelm away. So yes, there's very specific problem solving things that we could be doing. And that's a very concrete thing that we can be doing to help overcome and manage that overwhelm. But we need to get curious, right? Because getting curious, that curiosity, it's sort of the antidote to anxiety because when we're getting curious, well, our henchmen are trying to create these conspiracies and make our brain go into default mode where we just ruminate and ruminate and ruminate, right? And we spiral, we just end up spiraling and we don't go anywhere. So getting curious, we're going to keep our prefrontal cortex online, right? So that we don't spin out of control and rumination and obsessions and what ifs and whatever else is going on and focusing on our mistakes, when we can get curious, hmm, perfectionist Paul is trying to take over. What is it that perfectionist Paul is trying to, to get me to do here, right? Then we can do the opposite. So when we can identify uh, all or nothing thinking, so oftentimes we break that down, just like I said, but if we can get in, into and identify that self-awareness is so key, right? That's why we want to get curious in the first place to build up that self-awareness. But when we can start acknowledging that black and white thinking, those gremlins, we can start to see the shades of gray. What are the henchmen trying to hide? What is perfectionist Paula trying to hide? Because she just wants me to see my mistakes right now. I see you. I see what you're trying to do. I see you trying to get me stuck. What is it that you're trying to hide? Because the brain doesn't want us to learn something. There's some lesson in here that you don't want me to learn, brain. You just want me to shut down, check my pencil, and avoid doing this altogether. So trying to see what are they trying to hide? Maybe I made a mistake, but there's a learning opportunity in there, right? The brain doesn't want to take that learning opportunity. Just run away, run away, run away. But there's a learning opportunity. Let's look at this mistake. Where did I go wrong? So we want to work on acceptance, usually in a paradoxical way, right? It really depends on the kiddo though. So, so we're looking at the self-evaluations, we're looking at how we can break things down, zooming out, looking at the bigger picture, but I do like using a lot of paradox and a lot of sarcasm, right? So we really got to see if, if they're so entrenched with the belief that I am a failure and if there's any depression there, I might not go this route. So I'm just going to kind of put those disclaimers. Not everything that I say is going to work every time, obviously with everything, right? But 
when we're, when we're doing paradoxical sort of things, it's agreeing with the henchman. Yes, I am a failure. I am such a failure that I'm going to flunk grade six and I'm going to get kicked out of the house and I'm going to live in the streets and I'm going to be a homeless person begging for money. I am such, I'm the biggest failure. Like I should just go back to kindergarten. Only if you've got a kiddo who can kind of do that, right? Uh, other ideas, pros and cons analysis. What's the benefit of being a perfectionist when I'm writing my numbers? What's the benefit of being a perfectionist if I was a neurosurgeon? Actually, there's not. If you were to talk to neurosurgeons, they, there is no room for perfection. Because if you're trying to be perfection, you are going to be in that brain too long and probably going to make more errors. So they they just want to be good enough. Get in, get out. There is no room for perfection. Same thing with writing your numbers. Who cares? Right? You don't have to spend gazillion hours writing an essay at night if it's going to interfere with your sleep and it's going to ruin your whole day tomorrow, right? Or whatever it is. So we got to look at that. What 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 are the benefits here? But they got to buy in. They got to recognize first, have that self-awareness that these henchmen are taking over, even our adults. You, if you've got perfectionists, we got to be self-aware. We're not going to have any capacity to do anything if we're not aware. But then buying into that thinking that, ah, these henchmen are really trying to cause problems. We can have some mantras that can be helpful. It's kind of being able to coach ourselves. Uh, my eldest really attached herself to Gretzky's, you, 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 um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That really helped her jump into these situations. You know, we all know the fall seven times, get up eight kind of things. Robert Kennedy, um, only those who dare to fail greatly, they got to fail greatly, can achieve greatly, right? Um, there's one that I know I've used on the podcast before. It was from the movie, We Bought a Zoo, and he talks about 20 seconds of fear or something like that. It's just 20 seconds of fear, that 20 seconds of awkwardness or discomfort or uncertainty, and you just jump in, right? You know me, though. Okay, so there's the cognitive piece. And if you've listened to me before, I'm usually not one to just sit here and let's do cognitive reframing because that's not enough. We can talk for a million hours about swimming and I'm never going to throw a kid into the pool if he's never swam before. So thinking is just not enough. We can't just focus on that piece. And to be quite honest, it's not a piece that I do focus on. But it's a piece that can be valuable and can be the starting point, especially, you know, the psychoeducation, teaching about when that amygdala takes over, the, the Loki brain, what's happening in the body, what's happening in our mind, and what do we need to do differently, right? Especially with a lot of our perfectionist students, we got to do things more than just that, though, because a lot of them, they don't have the capacity to change the meaning of the stressful event, right? They, they don't have the capacity to look at this mistake and see the silver lining. They just don't have the capacity. So you're only going to get a tiny bit away ahead. You're only going to make a tiny little bit of progress if that's all you're focusing on, just trying to reframe their thinking because they just don't have the, that ability to pivot away from the negative thoughts. And so they get stuck in rumination or yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but in your office, they might talk the talk, but they're not actually doing it. Or at home, they might talk the talk. Yeah, this is what I learned from this mistake. But then they're going into the room and beating themselves up. We can rewire the brain so much faster through experience. We're never going to do it just through talking. That's where kids learn. So it's through experience. And a key piece of this is setting up the environment to embrace mistakes. We're not just going to talk about growth mindset. I've talked about this so much. We're going to do growth mindset. 
We're not going to talk about the importance of making mistakes. We are going to celebrate mistakes. We're going to encourage mistakes. We're going to post it on the walls, right? So we're talking about learning. We're talking about mistakes. And how are we going to do that, right? Because there's a great place of vulnerability here. When we're talking about our experience and our failures, there's a lot of vulnerability. But when we do that, boy, does that bring us closer. But unfortunately, before we even get there, shame usually crushes us so much, right? And and so we got to be very mindful that we're not shaming any kid, any student. Most of us remember something like that happening at school. And it it forever changed how we've thought of ourselves, right? As a learner, I, I can remember three pivotal points in my, in my life where a teacher has shamed me and crushed me. I won't go through all of those stories, but but three key key times. Um, two was in elementary. I remember that far back. One was in high school, and it completely changed the course of where I thought I was going in my life. Who knows? Maybe if they hadn't happened, I would still end up here. But but you never know, right? They totally shame me, and I never pursued those. So our words are very influential, and we got to remember ninety percent of what people remember. Uh, and and do and learn is through their experience. So do you want to be that shaming person? Probably not. But we also all have people who we know helped us believe in ourselves too, right? So, well, hopefully we all do. I'm sure we all can find one person who shamed us, but I'm, I'm hoping we can all find one person who made us believe in ourselves. Be that person, right? You have so much power. So again, I've said it once. I'm going to say it a million times, probably every time in every episode, our words are influential. And so how are we going to use our words? Not to make them feel guilty and to shame them, okay? Or just, you know, just forget about it. Don't worry about it. Just move on, right? Life's too short. It's not going to be helpful. We can share stories, right? Kids love hearing stories about whoever, especially the parents, but even about themselves, when they learned to ride a bike or when they were learning to walk, you fell down, but you are so determined you would pull yourself right back up or whatever it is, right? Or watching themselves do videos. So we can use their stories. We can use our stories. They fail 99% of the time, maybe even their video games. I talk about this all the time. They fail 99% of the time when they're first playing a video game or when they get to the next level, immediately they die. But they had to learn right? They had to learn through dying and they did learn. You knew when you went through that door, there were zombies there and you got killed. And then you went to that door and you learned that there was goblins there and you died. So you knew not to go there. You learned every step of the way. And now you know what you need to do to defeat Bowser. I know Bowser, there's no zombies in Bowser, or at least there wasn't when I was anyways, but you can use those stories. I like uh, Michael Jordan's story, right? He's world famous basketball player, didn't make his high school uh, basketball team. There's actually a Nike failure commercial. Go and watch that. Talk about it. Why do you think I showed you this? So we want to set up this environment where we're showing kids that failures actually can help propel us. Right. And, and we can tell our kiddos too that we know we're growing our brain whenever we think that we can learn something, not even just learning, just thinking that we can learn something. Every time we take on a new challenge, try something new, go somewhere new, just trying something hard, even if you don't finish it, that's enough to start rewiring our brains and making it more resilient and making it more hardy, braver, 
right? And knowing that we can learn from our mistakes. Our brain reacts differently. Even if we go into it, I know I'm going to mistake, going to make a mistake. And that's fantastic because I'm going to know exactly where I need help. Our brain is going to react very differently. It's going to make it stronger. We're going to be able to cope more. We're going to be able to learn more. And they're going to learn that they're safe. And it's safe to make mistakes. And that mistakes are encouraged. And that we're going to celebrate it. So we're going to model making mistakes ourselves. We're going to talk about making mistakes. We're going to talk about the mistakes that we made. What did we learn and how we're going to fix it? We're going to put those stickies up on the wall. Have a celebration wall of mistakes. And we're going to talk about it every day, right? So having that mistake wall of the day is a fantastic, stop putting stars up for all the kids who are getting hundred percent on their math test or their spelling test or no behaviors for the day, because the kids who need those stars the most are the ones who usually don't get them. But let's do that. Let's put up the mistake of the day. Even if it's the kid who punched another kid, like it's not anxiety. It's just his own emotion regulation. Okay, dude, you punched Johnny in the face. You went to the principal's office. What did you learn? Well, I learned that I should have used my words. Dude, awesome learning. Let's put it up on the wall, right? And other kids are going to see that. We are actually celebrating these. That's how we do it. But they also have to have daily exposure to opportunities to make mistakes in the first place, right? And the, and we're going to be helping them reward that brain that making mistakes is a good thing. We can't just talk with mindset. We got to do it, right? Talking is never going to change the brain. We only become brave. We only become courageous after we fall. So we need to fall and we need to help them fall in a supportive way, right? It's, it's those failures that are going to help build the resilient, that resilient brain. Because that's where kids are going to learn. That's where they're going to move forward. That's where they're going to get stronger and braver. So by doing this, they see that mistakes really are essential to learning. It's not us just trying to convince it. They're actually seeing it. Uh, We also want to reappraise mistakes too, in a very objective way. So again, telling kids to look for the positives, not helpful. You're probably just going to make it worse. And even a lot of reappraisal strategies, you know, not that great usually. But, but how can we build this into doing something relevant to real life rather than just trying to find, you know, make lemonade out of the lemons and try to find the silver lining. So one of the things that I love to do again, we're going to break things down. I love breaking things down. So maybe they get their test back and they had this bar that I must achieve 95% and they only got 92%. Oh my gosh. Right. Only 92%. Well, They're going to immediately go to see what they got wrong. That's what the brain does. We all do it. You do it. We all do it. We want to see what we got wrong usually, right? Especially our perfectionists. And, And they will usually go beat themselves up. We can't prevent our brain from going to see what we got wrong. Actually, that's fantastic that we're doing it. But it's it's how, what are we doing with that information? It's going to look for the things that we got wrong in a per, in a purposeful way. I was always one of those kids, like... Whatever, like I totally got this right. And I'm going to go, I actually remember I do a lot of psychoeducational assessments and I remember going through, you know, the book and I'm kind of going through the test and, and, um, I believed one of the answers was wrong and I researched it and I found support and I was ready to like call them up. Like I'm that person to say, no, this is wrong. Um, but I sat on it for a little while and then tried to look at it from a different angle. I'm like, okay, I can see where they're coming from as well. Um, but but that's what we want to do, right? So it's not, oh, I'm so dumb. Why can't I? Bah, bah, bah. No, it's let's look at this. 
Okay. So, so I do actually want them to see what they got wrong. Yes. I want them to see what they did well, right? What did they get right? What was super easy? Go through the ones you got right. Super easy. You didn't even have to think about it. And I want you to highlight those green. And if that's too many questions, don't even worry about highlighting them. Maybe looking quickly for the ones that you weren't sure about, you sort of guessed, maybe you're going to do highlight those yellow because you're not 100% certain about them, but you still got to knew them enough to get it right, to guess, make an educated guess. But the things you got wrong, see what the mistake was, and you're going to highlight those pink or purple or blue, whatever it is. Maybe it was just something that they did know, but they made a careless mistake. I remember writing my EPPP exam and there was a question. It was like a double negative. It was so dumb, but you know, your nerves are high. You, you can't even think straight. And uh, I knew, I, I, I mean, you don't know what questions you got wrong, but as soon as I left the test, I knew what I got wrong because I was like, oh, I was like, I got caught in the weeds of the double negative. I knew what I got wrong. I made a careless mistake, right? I was thinking of something else um, and, and I made a mistake. So maybe then that is a green thing, something that they totally knew they just weren't paying attention. Or maybe it was just a yellow, like they thought it, but maybe they just didn't quite know it enough. So green, I absolutely know it inside and out. Yellow, I do kind of know it, not enough to explain it and teach it really well, but I kind of have the idea of what it is. And then pink or blue or whatever, I have no clue. I have no clue. I've never seen this before. I had, I, I have no idea. I don't understand it or whatever it is. So now they're creating a study guide, right? That there's the sort of map so that they know if this was, you know, a unit final, for example, they know what they need to really focus on when they spend their time studying for the big final. And so they're going to use that information not to beat themselves up, right? They still might. We can't necessarily avoid that, but let's get them using that information in a productive way. So it's going to directly inform how they're going to study next time. The pinks are the things that they need to spend more time on. Maybe I need to get help. How are we going to problem solve so this mistake doesn't happen again? And then the yellows and the greens are probably just quick reviews, right? So they're visually seeing these things and the mistakes, and they're going to see how those mistakes are going to actually help them figure out to grow, get better, and do better on the big exam that's going to be worth more. So it's problem solving. Sometimes there are just concrete things that we need to do to be able to get them to be successful. Um, you can have a predictions sheet too, where, where kiddos complete it before a task, you know, where they can make predictions about how awesome the task is going to be, how much they're going to learn, how hard it's going to be. Um, focusing on the positive, the things that they're looking forward to it, um, breaking it down into parts. You know, you could have a prediction for each step of the task, but we're just getting their brain out of the rumination and just sort of making these predictions. We're going to get curious. We're putting on our detective hat and then go through it. And we're going to rate it. Hopefully they find each step is more enjoyable. They predicted oftentimes perfectionists don't actually take in enjoy, they don't experience joy in anything, right? <laughs> At all. Even things that they used to love because they're so focused on the perfectionist. So we're changing their focus. We're changing what it is they're focusing on in the first place and what they focus on later on. Um, there's so many different things. I mean, mindfulness, that's important to consider too. 
I'm always saying we have to focus on building tolerance and, you know, being able to tolerate the discomfort of having made a mistake without doing anything about it, right? It's about doing nothing, but being able to tolerate that. And mindfulness really helps. We're building our awareness in the first place. The perfectionist peed, it's taken over. And that mindfulness is going to help us keep our curiosity hat and build that tolerance and that acceptance of the discomfort that comes with making a mistake. So we're promoting emotional literacy. We're promoting emotion regulation. By, by being aware of whatever's coming up and accepting of whatever's coming up, whatever those emotions are that, that they're happening in the moment, right? And, and, and that story and the conspiracies that are getting caught up without getting stuck in it. So the mindfulness that helps us sit with the distress and not trying to push it away, right? Sitting with that discomfort when we don't meet that standard, right? And we're not actually trying to change anything. We don't have to do anything. And I think that's a big piece that we just get caught up in. We feel like we are always having to do something. It's building our capacity to cope with what is, with the negative emotions, with the self-doubt, the shame, whenever that Loki brain wants to tell us that we're inadequate, right? Then we got to look at what other gaps and, and these gaps, we just got to look at what skills does this kiddo need to build and, and to work on? right? A lot of the time they don't know how to prioritize things. They don't know how to get started on things. They don't know how to manage their time or problem solve effectively. So maybe we're breaking tasks down or goals down and we're teaching them how to prioritize or how to break up daunting tasks into those bite-sized step-by-step sort of um, tasks that they need to do, how to problem solve, um, how to sit with that discomfort so it doesn't become so overwhelming. So that's a task. That's the first task is as adults is trying to figure out what are those skills that they need to develop, right? And then we're going to go work on them and practice them. A lot of our perfectionists, again, they're not taking enjoyment. So how can we make things more enjoyable and then being able to identify and look forward to some of those things? We we want them to persist because oftentimes they give up, they disengage as soon as things get hard. So we're working on persistence. Maybe we're working on asking for help. Um, managing their emotions, emotion regulation. It's all these executive functioning skills, right? That's a key, key skill. A lot of our perfectionist kiddos are lacking. They don't know how to regulate their emotions, but that's really addressed through everything I've already talked about, problem solving, tolerating emotions, all of, all of those kinds of things. Um, one thing I, I will bring up now, and I'll be bringing it up in greater detail too, in, in, I want to have an episode just on building our pro-social emotions because we know our emotional brain is so much stronger than our cognitive brain. We can't control our emotional brain with our cognitive brain. It's just so much more powerful, way more powerful than our rational thinking brain. The emotional brain, it's always going to win out. Whenever emotions come into play, our emotional brain is always going to win. So why not use that emotional brain to our advantage? And we do that by building pro-social emotions, which I'll be talking about in another episode. It's beyond the scope of today's episode, um, but definitely something that we're going to keep in our back pocket when we're working with perfectionists. And, and one of the things is building pride and gratitude. And so I'll be talking about that. I do address it in all of my mastery training programs. And like I said, I'll be talking about that in the future as well. So there's lots of different things to think about. This is sort of a fast and furious. I mean, to go into great detail, definitely join me for my anxiety training programs. Um, but this is, you know, at least 
some initial steps to think of, but it's really the same process. And we just want to make sure we're identifying, we're aware when that Loki brain's ringing the alarms and how do we respond in helpful ways. And sometimes there's skill building, sometimes there's problem solving that we need to do. And sometimes it's nothing. We just sit there with that discomfort and learn to be able to tolerate it and be okay with it. So thank you for joining me today. Go and help those kids be bold and courageous. And I will see you next week.